Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Whiz. I cannot believe that we are approaching the end of the year, and I'm betting that you might start to think about 2020 and where this next year will take you and your business. If you are like most food entrepreneurs, you might be feeling a little bit of a panic as you think about the future. Thinking about managing your time, your money, and your mindset is no small feat, especially in the food industry, which is why I brought on my fantastic guest today, Chelsea Ford of Females in Food. Chelsea is going to talk about those three key topics as we think about moving into the new year. So if you're feeling anxious about time management and money, and you describe yourself as overwhelmed, keep on listening. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome to the show today. Hi, Ali. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So my whizzes, I am so excited to do this interview with Chelsea, and I know you guys are going to love her. So let me tell you a little bit about her, and then I'm going to turn over the mic to Chelsea. So Chelsea and I actually met on Instagram after we realized that we had this mutual love of supporting women in the food industry. So Chelsea brings her background of several decades as a senior executive at large multinational organizations outside of the food industry to her current work as the founder of Females in Food. I love that name. Females in Food is an organization aimed at helping female professionals, female creatives, create thriving, profitable businesses within the food industry by giving them tools, community, and hands-on help. So Chelsea, like I said, I'm delighted to have you here. Welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself supporting women in the industry and creating females in food? Thank you, Ali. I would, and I love that we met over Instagram. God, talk about modern times (laughs) for modern people. (laughs) Yeah, look, as you said in the intro, I did have a career in multinationals, Sara Lee, Nestle and Kellogg in big food, but also I ran my own small businesses. And uh, a decade or so ago, I also wanted to uh, find out more about the world and I jumped off full-time employment and went and lived in a meditation retreat and it was the beginning of um, me looking at how there must be more to life. And it was during this time, and I was in Peru for that, and then I ended up being bouncing around in North America and then in an ashram in India. So then I came back and it was the GFC, the Global Financial Crisis, and yep. um, I started to consult more to small food and drink businesses. 
I've always wanted to be in food since I was in the third grade. And so I got to see firsthand, both from personal experience as well as from a consulting and coaching perspective, the challenges that small business and foodpreneurs face. And it was at that point that I gathered more and more information about the challenges and the problems and also the excitement of trying to get your food creation out into the world. And in 2016, the idea of females in food came to me because it was also off the back of me doing some tertiary study on um, how to empower women. So none of it made sense when I was doing it, you know, when I was in the meditation (laughs) retreat or I was doing my master's on empowering women. But now, of course, uh, females in food exist to support women to build amazingly successful food and drink businesses. I love that. I I always feel like we, it's so much easier to connect the dots looking backwards, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we are headed into the new year. We're headed into 2020. And I know that my audience is thinking about their business goals and thinking about their current struggles. And I know you and I talked about this. You and I have heard the same ones over and over again, which basically revolve around lack of time, lack of money, and that never-ending feeling of overwhelm, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So can you tell me, I know when you and I were brainstorming topics for the show, you landed on those three things, right? You were the, you were the one who brought those three things to my attention in our brainstorm doc. Why, why are we going to focus on those three things moving into the new year? Why are we going to focus on time? Overwhelm. Yeah, overwhelm and money because they're probably the three biggest challenges that I see foodpreneurs face time and time again. And the more that you grow and scale, I think they don't necessarily reduce. um, (laughs) They're just high-grade problems really. Uh, So they're the cornerstone and if, if we can, you know, we all only have 24 hours in the day, so how does somebody make it and somebody not, so to speak? And I think time and systemization and um, helps with the overwhelm and also the money. So they're very much dovetail to each other. All right. I love this. You were, you were speaking my love language here. I, (laughs) I am like an organizational fiend. So I am, I'm so excited to hear what your take is on this. And I'm sure that I'm going to learn things for my own business and that our listeners are going to learn a lot too. So I've got some questions that I want to ask you and I want this to turn into a conversation. So let's start talking about time and systemization. So you, you just said everyone gets 24 hours in a day and that's all we have, right? Like no one can generate more time yet. I feel like some people are really good at getting things done and other people feel like they have this never ending to-do list. Can we talk about that, that idea of the never ending to-do list and how one might find the bottom of their list? Like, do you have any tips to getting to the bottom of the to-do list? I certainly do. And I think at first you just got to discard the to-do list and get a goal list because, and many of your listeners would have heard this notion around the big rocks before, because what needs to happen is you've got to prioritize what's important because so often we do what's seemingly urgent, but not what's important. Mm. And the urgent stuff pulls us into directions that aren't necessarily going to move our business forward. And the big rocks, 
which can be attributed to Stephen Covey, the guy who first talked about it in First Things First, although I learned about this from Vern Harnish, from he wrote The Rockefeller Habits, that it once you determine your long-term goals, which are your big rocks for your business, then you establish the short-term priorities. But what most people do is they get so caught up in the minutiae, you know, the day-to-day. And mm. Stephen Covey, of course, has that iconic metaphor of the glass jar and the table where mm. next to the jar are the rocks, the gravel, the sand and the water. And the water, of course, representing everything else that comes into the day rather than the rocks, which are those big priorities. And so people fill the jar with water first and the sand and the the minutiae effectively. But really, if we put the big rocks in first, then there's a reduced amount of room for the sand and the water and and the smaller gravel, etc. And of course, you know, that means we get the big stuff done and we move closer to that elusive, what I like to aim for is that 20k revenue a month um you know you're really humming if you can target that Mm. yeah yeah and it makes so much sense right because I I talk about this in retail ready and I, I imagine you talk about it in your program too that at the end of the day we have a limited like limited mental the capacity and we can only have the willpower to like muscle through so many things in a day. So it's got to be the ones that actually move the dial for our business, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's, it's exhausting otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I think too, one of the, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the the ways that I do it is that each week I write down three big things that I'm going to accomplish in the week. And then each day I create three tasks that are in line with those big, those three big things, which would be my big rocks. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think one of the, one of the profound impacts that it's had for me is that at the end of the day, even if I've only crossed off three things off my to-do list, they're at least things that were really, really powerful and I can go to bed or I can shut my computer feeling accomplished rather than defeated. Yeah. And I love that you've chosen three, Ali, and I'd imagine that on some levels, and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but you may not even know that you've just chosen three and the th- and three is quite an iconic number. And we see it often in say garden design or even in retail displays because <laughs> yep. Odd numbers somehow are more impactful visually. You know, you might see a garden bed of three flowers as opposed to two or four or six, generally speaking. And there's something quite magical about that number three or five or sometimes seven. So, yeah, interesting that you've said that. I love that. Um, I I love that. I also <laughs> just happen to be an Enneagram three. So three is my, three is my number. Me too. You're a three? Mm-hmm. I should have guessed. <laughs> For our listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, I'll I'll put a little link in our in our show notes here if you guys want to take Enneagram. a take a Enneagram quiz and see what what number you guys are. Um, I love my fellow threes. Okay, so so that's the idea of the to do list, right? That that it's not that I like I like what you said. So we throw out our to do list <laughs> altogether, and instead we have to focus on our goals. Absolutely, and. That can sound so, I guess, academic, but 
it really works. And you just illustrated that by saying that you just have your three big goals on a daily basis. And I think that that is a really easy solution that anybody can implement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I sometimes have people... My my retail ready students. So I make my retail ready students do the weekly three as well. And the ones who do it see steady success in their business or steady forward progress in their business. And the ones who feel like they don't have time, they don't have 60 seconds to sit down and write out their big three are the ones who struggle in their business. Um, so I would say that for all of our listeners who are like, yeah, 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 Allie, good idea, Chelsea, but I don't have time. I would argue that if you don't have 60 seconds to do this weekly or daily in your business, you're folk, you're definitely focusing on the wrong, the wrong things there. Right. Right. And for me, I do it on a Sunday night. Now that may not work for everybody, but most people don't, don't work on a Sunday. And so to me, that's the really quiet time. So that's the least amount of interruptions for me. My generally, you know, the females in food social media um, is not so demanding on a Sunday, and also I'm I can just really focus on my plan for the week. Yeah. So that's the time of the week that I like to do this kind of prioritizing. Yeah, I like I like that idea. Just having a set time and having a system for for doing that. Right. Um, right. Can we talk a little bit about systems? Love to love systems. <laughs> Some people think they're so boring, but they're the, the the key to creativity. Well, I how can I like this? How are they the key to creativity when it feels like they're potentially the opposite? Right? If we put systems in place so that we can streamline and, and become efficient and really, you know, have a process. So how is that? How does that connected to creativity? Yeah. I know it does seem incongruent. Systems and taking a considered approach to your food and drink business will help you expand, I promise, because unless you have deep pockets with lots of money, then you don't necessarily move fast through this process. But but if if you if you don't have the deep pockets is what I'm trying to say, this is why I think you need to do it. It's a twofold benefit and that is One, you can share your process with others. So as you bring on, say, contractors or your briefing graphic designers or a bookkeeper, et cetera, then you have something documented that you don't need to repeat to them. And that documentation could be in writing or it could be an audio recording or it could be a video recording. And when we do document things, we're 40% more likely to remember them. So we're forced to become clear on our thoughts and our plans And it's not just about writing a plan and then sticking it in a drawer. Plans should be live documents and referred to on a regular basis. And, you know, inside my members club, I have a financial calendar and in that calendar is an easy to follow routine of what reports you need to develop and review and when. And take, for instance, your business profit and loss statement that you know, can that should be reviewed at least monthly and used yep. to compare periods. So this month with last month or this same time last year with with this time this year. So it's in that comparison that we get the insight. Um, and it's in black and white, you're either in profit or you're in loss. But you don't know that unless it's written down. And I did actually have a member say to me the other day, and she makes gluten-free crackers, oh, I finally wrote all my income expenses down and I didn't realise that winter 
is more profitable than summer. Mm. So to me, that's part of this this benefit of starting to input systems into your business is that you get that insight, you get that clarity. And she also now can go to her, engage a bookkeeper and speak with them intelligently and even maybe hand over the documentation to them once she can afford to outsource to a bookkeeper. So my original point around systems are the key to creativity is her actual zone of genius and her love is making, baking and creating those cookies mm-hmm. and crackers. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't really want to do the financials. But at the moment, she's such an early stage foodpreneur, she has to. But if now that she has a system, her financial system, she spent the time setting it up. Yeah. Now she just needs to input the data. Yeah. So it frees I, her up. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I like the idea that you said you just write down your systems. You write down your procedures and then you can hand them off to other people. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a game changer and it's something that's counterintuitive a lot of the time because people often say to me, when I say that to them initially, oh, Chelsea, I don't have time. But that's the irony. (laughs) (laughs) That's the gold. If you do it, yeah, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. Yes. Well, I think about it when I was onboarding my assistant, I was like, I am going to make her the, I want her to know exactly what is in my brain. And I want her to be able to replicate the things in my business exactly how I would do them myself. I was like, how can I make this happen? It is by documenting every single step and every single thought that goes through my brain as I do this. And so it, you're right, Chelsea, like it was very painful <laughs> when I went about doing all the training manuals. It took me hours and hours. And then, you know, now she rarely has a question because those documents are so robust. That's right. And that's what I hear from people, you know, in food and drink that they don't want to write it down because it's just so time consuming, but you're freed yourself up now, right? And you're scaling your business. Exactly. And so now I'm allowed to do the creative things. I'm allowed to, I have time to do these podcast episodes or get in my retail ready group or do whatever the things that really light me up instead of sending out late payment notices to clients, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I have one more thing that I want to talk about with time in, times and systems. And it is, it relates to something else that we're going to talk about later in the podcast. But for those who are listening and feel like they, you know, they've been behind the ball for a while and they just need a big injection of time and probably money into their, their food and drink business. And they don't know where to start with that. They're already feeling overwhelmed. What do you suggest they do? Do less. And this is all about <laughs> my model, which I call five ones. And I teach this inside Females in Food Members Club. And it is simply this, focus on one product category, one sales channel, one marketing channel, one target buyer group, just for one year. Or if you're super early stage foodpreneur or drinkpreneur in your first year. It's like the Coco Chanel quote, take one thing off before you leave the house. (laughs) Business can be similar. We overcomplicate it and add too many things when we don't have the resources to do it all at 
do it all well. And for me, mediocrity is my nemesis. So the key is hyper-focus and hyper-delivery. And with that five ones, for your listeners, what I really encourage them to do is to think about do they really need to be in food service and retail at the beginning? Do they really think that they need to be talking to, you know, corporate sector and the private sector for argument's sake? You know, do you need to be on Facebook and Instagram? It's these kind of decisions that, you know, a lot of people I think um, are influenced and compare their start with somebody else's ending. And so they go, mm-hmm. well, they're doing really well. They're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, what have you, or they're doing food service and they're in the grocery store. Um, I And, you know, I have retail packs of 250 mils, but I also have a food service pack of a litre, etc. I think you get the point. So the point is to rip the band-aid off and just do one thing extraordinarily well and be a standout. You know, that's my five ones model. And that's what I that's what I have seen my members be very, very successful with those who actually have the courage to say no to most things and then yes to just a couple of things and oh, do them well. Yes. I love, I love this idea of the five ones. And earlier this season, I did a whole podcast episode on saying no in your business. And this Mm. is exactly, this relates exactly to what you're saying, that when you say no, it allows you the opportunities to say yes to what really matters. Doing less, less to do more. Oh, absolutely. And for many, and particularly for women, we're not conditioned to say no, you know, we're conditioned to be caretakers. And, you know, obviously I'm using generalizations here, but women, and I appreciate your audience would be men and women, but just obviously my area of expertise is is women. And I think if we can find a sentence that we practice a bit like your elevator pitch, that (laughs) is thank you, but no, something (laughs) as simple as that is very powerful. Yes. I I read recently, I don't know where it was that said, no is a complete sentence. Oh, my husband <laughs> says it to me all the time. <laughs> like, oh, it is. That is true. And I think, Chelsea, I think you're in my Food Biz Whiz Facebook group and you may have seen, and if you haven't, I'll tag you in this. But after I released that episode on the art of saying no, you're right. It was It was the females who spoke up and said, you know, yes, Allie, I have trouble with this. Like, yes, I am challenged by this. Like, thank you for the episode. And I don't think any guys commented on Mm. that post. It was all women who said it was something that they struggle with. Yeah, I see it all the time. And of course, women too have multiple responsibilities that we take on. And back to that point I made about conditioning, you know, where often um, the primary caretaker, again, there's a caveat here. It's not always, I'm just talking in generalizations here, but um, you know, there's many, many women who are building food and drink businesses and the ones that are superstars and that are doing really well have learned to implement either through me or in another way to say no and to implement something that looks like the five ones. So I know it works. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that system of the five ones. I really like that idea. My pleasure. Okay, Chelsea, we're going to pause for a quick second and I'm going to insert a sponsor and then we'll be back talking about overwhelm and money mindset. Here we go. Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, 
I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product, as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Okay, Chelsea, we're back. And we've got two things to talk about for the rest of our episode. We're going to talk about that that feeling of overwhelm, and then we're going to talk about money, which I know is almost as precious as time. Not quite, but almost as precious as time. So we talked about offline that the number one thing that you hear from producers is that they're overwhelmed in their business, that they're overwhelmed in the day-to-day. So we talked about how to increase your systemization and how to get more important things done in the day, that idea of the big rocks. And both of those ideas lead to reducing that feeling of overwhelm. But can we can we talk more about that idea of reducing the, the overwhelm of the day-to-day? Because I know my listeners are sitting on the other end being like, Okay, yeah, but tell me more. Tell me how to get rid of this overwhelm feeling. Yes, I, I would be delighted because it's so common. So Ali, I want to say with an absolute big open heart to your listeners that if you are feeling an overwhelm, just know that you're not alone. Yeah. Uh, is very much why I started Females in Food to take care of the whole business woman. It's not just about providing you know, I think, and you know, you and I have spoken a lot about this, Ali, that it's not just about the resources and information. It is actually the notion of caring for the person and mm-hmm. self-care regime. So, you know, I would say, frankly, overwhelm is a result of not being crystal clear on the direction and trying to do everything. And we've already spoken a bit about that. Yeah. And part of the anguish that exacerbates the overwhelm is not having the resources to outsource or not being willing or able to. Um, And there's multiple ways that you can approach it. And one of the ways, again, I teach a model called know what to focus on model, which provides a framework to help foodpreneurs identify the problem areas in their business and the areas in which they excel. So what I call their superpower (laughs) So saying no and getting comfortable with leaving things undone, you know, that 99% out the door is better than 100% mm-hmm. in the door is one of my favorite sayings. So again, you know, we talked about the big rocks earlier, but what I love about the know what to focus on model is it's a, there's a four variables in it and effectively goes like this, you know, number one is a problem or an area that you really struggle with and effectively you don't know what the question is and you don't know therefore what the answer is. And number two is it's a weakness. You might know what the question is, but you don't know how to implement it. And number three is is um, a strength. So you know what to do and how to do it, but it's not necessarily your zone of genius. And number mm-hmm. four is your superpower. And effectively, the framework is simply those big rocks or the subtasks that you have on your goal list, put them on a piece of paper, number them one through four, and then the ones and twos and eventually the threes outsource to somebody else or just assess how important are they because you really want to be working in the area of number four, your superpower. Because when you're working in your area of superpower, you're not fatigued. So if you're creating, it's a bit like Lindsay, the gluten-free cookie baker I referenced Mm -hmm. earlier, when she's baking 
and she's creating recipes, she feels like she's floating on air. You know, it's so it's, she's enriched. And so you want to be in that place. That's the place where time and money are meaningless to you. But I reckon when you're in sort of the trying to make it work in an area that's a problem for you or a weakness, that's when fatigue and overwhelm sets in. And I understand the struggle with produce for producers and artisans when maybe money or resources is an issue. It's like, well, I what else am I going to do with them? Right. They need yeah. to be done. Yeah. But the idea is to be conscious about it and to recognize that in an ideal world, work towards outsourcing those. Yeah. I mean, I... I can relate in a, I can totally relate to this. When I hired Erin, my assistant, I felt like I could not afford her. And I was like, I'm still worried about my monthly income. I live in San Francisco. It is very expensive here. Like I don't, I don't think I can afford her, but there was some small voice inside me that said, if I didn't bring on help, and when, when we started, it was just a couple hours a week. If I didn't bring on help, I wasn't going to be able to stay in my zone of genius. Um, I forget what, what you called it. Your superpower, my superpower. Um, and I was going to, I was going to burn out if I didn't find a way to, to afford her. Um, Yeah. I really relate to that too, Ali, because I have a marketer who, Kerry, she's awesome. I've worked with her for years and she um, was working 10 hours a month for me yeah. a few years yep. ago. Yep. And I was uh, pushing the boat out with Females in Food Members Club and I knew that I needed help because there was areas of marketing that were not my superpower and also I just didn't have the time. So I made a calculated risk. I basically did a cash flow forecast and I looked at, okay, well, if I bring in more members, then they can pay for Carrie. And that's exactly what happened. The members club grew and sure, in the first month, it paid her wage, but over time, there was more profit for me. That's exactly what I did as well. And I started Aaron with 10 hours a month and I was like, you know, I remember sitting down and doing that cash flow and being like, okay, I need to take on one additional hour of one one one-on-one client a month to pay for Aaron. It just, it seemed like a no brainer once I sat down and, and actually looked at the numbers, but I think it can be really overwhelming for these producers who are like, I'm barely profitable. I'm really concerned about cash flow. Like Sure, Allie and Chelsea, it's easy for you guys sitting in your home offices, um, but cash is no joke for these for our clients who are making packaged products, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's where knowing you're not alone and being a part of a community is really important. But equally, it's more important, I think, when margins are lower. Like, yeah, sure, maybe the margins for you and I, maybe, maybe are greater, who knows. But when you are producing a food item and there's all sorts of, you know, you're up against it, time, because of course you're often working with a perishable product as well. More important than ever to really uh, stop, spend some time looking at your superpowers and working on your business. And that of course is so trite and your listeners probably would have heard that before, but it, it is the difference between I think an A grade player and an absolute superstar. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, th- and I wonder, 
if our listeners today would be up for the challenge of trying it for a month, right? I mean, I almost feel like finding, you know, you can outsource help. You can outsource pretty much anything nowadays and try it for 10 hours next month and see if you don't make that money back in your business. I would bet the majority of people do. Yeah, I agree. And so long as it's aligned with the business direction, then to, and, and, and besides anyway, there's no such thing as failure. Appreciate we're talking money here. And that could be the difference between somebody paying their rent or not. I right. understand right. that completely. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to, you know, we're not, but the, the point is that if it's aligned with your business direction and your plans, then it's probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And when I first brought on Erin, I saved, I saved up a couple months ahead of time to pay her. Um, just knowing that I, that it was a gamble and that I really, I was thoughtful, you know, leading up to it as well. It wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't an impulse decision for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one other thing I want to talk about with the overwhelm and this idea of constantly being overwhelmed. And it relates, it relates to a lot of what we've talked about, but offline, you and I were talking about radical self-care, which again can be one of those things that feels very privileged, right? So I want to, I want to talk about self-care and, and what you mean by the idea of it being being radical and how can it be accessible to people who don't feel like they have profit in their business to put towards self-care? Yeah, I think self-care is free of any financial ties, to be honest, and the people that prioritize self-care, and I will go into some examples in a moment, are the ones, hands down, do better in their business and do better in their relationships. And for me, you know, I used to, when I was in corporate and I was working huge amounts of hours, um, I didn't prioritize self-care and I think it came at a cost. As it had in the beginning of running my own business with Females in Food, I mean, I was coaching and consulting for a decade before that, but Females in Food is three years old and, you know, there's there's a lot, just like anybody in a startup, I work inordinate amount of hours, but <laughs> I actually went back to the gym a few months ago, primarily for mental health reasons, despite having a pretty good grounding and foundation in prayer and meditation over the years, but that had gone by the wayside as I built this business. And it really did cost me. And I think it cost me in terms of my my self-esteem, which yep. uh, dovetailed into my self-belief. And, you know, the people that do the best, really, that they've got unwavering self-belief. Yeah. Um, and not to mention, obviously, the benefits of being fit and healthy. Um, and for me, and I shared with you at the beginning of our conversation that I moved to a meditation retreat in Peru and then I lived in an ashram in India for a while, many, many years ago now. But I have always been a seeker of sorts. Uh, and when I'm running really, really great, my ideal self-care regime seemingly is radical, but I get up early. Before I swing my feet out of bed, I pray and meditate. I'm I'm a spiritual person, not necessarily a religious person. Um, And I journal and I try and drink lots of water. I'm a bit of a sucker for tea. I drink way too much tea, which yeah, sure, it probably doesn't have as much caffeine as coffee, <laughs> but I, I drink an inordinate amount of it. But I think the, 
the other piece that's really important to me and you know you and I are a three and for those of you on don't know about the Enneagram you'll have to look that up but also I'm an extrovert so I need connection but the truth is as Brené Brown says we're wired for connection so I need to meet up with people who I love and trust and I think for your fantastic listeners you know, think about who are the people you're connecting with who truly support you. And to be honest, it's not always friends and family. You know, you need to be in a community of others in food and drink who really understand the industry because that's another reason why I started Females in Food because I got tired of going to networking events where I would sit next to accountants and lawyers who had no clue about the industry. We have different margins, we have different acronyms, we have different distribution channels, you know, and all of us are a little bit mad about the industry, you know, we just absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> so people, and, and we're intense, you know, we, yeah. we find the most yeah. incredible detail about food and drink products. So self-care for me is not only that prayer and meditation and exercise and drinking water, but it is very much connecting with people who get me. I, I need to be got. It's probably a three thing, but I yeah. really need to be, I need to be related to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I realized myself, I realized that I had to move on from Byrite Market when I was no longer cooking for myself. And Cooking is one of my forms of self-care. I love to cook. I love experimenting in the kitchen. And I was finding that I was working these 10-hour, 11-hour, 12-hour shifts on my feet. And the last thing that I wanted to do was come home and prepare a meal for myself or you know, for friends or my husband. And I realized that I realized it was a, it was a huge red flag in my life that I had given up this thing that was so important to me to pursue my career in that very industry, which was quite ironic. Yes, I um, I had a foray out of food for a moment, and I was sales director at Staples, that huge American yeah. office products firm. Yeah, and I did exactly the same thing. I was working about seventy hours, and in fact, my oh. friends did an intervention because it was just too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. are good friends. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about money now. I feel like we've, you know, we've talked about time. We've talked about overwhelm. And as we all know, money is that thing that is really, can be really challenging in the, in the day to day. So starting a food and drink business, I mean, it's fun. We, you and I have these clients who are so passionate about it but passion only gets you so far, right? Like you can have your funds dry up really, really quickly. So I'm, I'm wondering if you have a few tips that you can rattle off for people who are feeling financially pinched as they start their business. Yes, absolutely. I would love to. I think the first thing is have a business plan. It doesn't yeah. need to look perfect. It just needs to be written down. And I already said earlier, you know, we're more likely, 40% more likely to remember things when we write it down. And it's just for clarity and continuity purposes. And second of all, have what I call a product to market fit. And what I mean by that is ask yourself as a producer or as a foodpreneur, what problem are you solving and how big is the problem for your consumer? Yeah. And why is it worth solving? Because so often I see people fall in love with products and, um, you know, we, I have a member who 
produces a seed butter and recently produced a new flavor variant mm-hmm. that's salted caramel. And I asked her what research she had done on that. Did people actually care about salted caramel within <laughs> her particular category? And she hadn't done any research on that. Yeah. And, you know, all the best of British best of luck to her. Obviously, I want to see her succeed. That's what drives me. But I found it quite curious that she may not really be producing something that people care enough about. So when I talk about what problem are you solving, may not be a problem, but what's the opportunity, you know, that you're, you're solving. And then I would also say, spend what you have um, on the right things pardon me, like coaching, not Instagram posts or logo design. And of course, of course, a coach like me would say that, but the difference I think between success and failure is that calculated risks and spending money to make money. Um, And we've spoken about this already. And I realize that the average foodpreneur gets stuck earning around by my experience with all the data that I have in the, in the, being in the industry, about the 3000 revenue mark and yeah. are reluctant to spend any money and um, because there's not much of it. And understandably, because most foodpreneurs or producers don't also know their costs. So there's a big gray zone there. I'm earning about, or I'm turning over about 3000 a month. I have no real idea of what my costs are. So there's yep. a lot of um, vagueness. So I think to get that clarity and then spend money on getting some help really. Yeah. yeah I, I like that. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this too, the the value that we've each found in, in coaching and hiring people to support us getting our businesses to the next level. And one of the things that I like that you talk about a lot, Chelsea, is that idea of the six figure food and drink businesses. And you make it almost in a way seem doable for these food entrepreneurs, right? That there is no reason that these entrepreneurs, once they have the market fit, can't reach those six-figure goals, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not easy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure my listeners are like, okay, well, I know that I know it's not easy. I've been trying for years. What is there any other advice that you would give for those people who are feeling stuck below that number? Yeah, I think there's this artificial line, Ali, of the doers and the not doers, the implementers and the not implementers. And again, I appreciate people have so many balls in the air, long to-do lists. And already I've said to them, (laughs) get rid of the to-do list, get a goal list. But implementation really is the key. And what I teach in, in Members Club is to get that product development right in the first place. And as I was just saying, solving a problem that's worth solving that, that that there is a market demand for and you know find evidence of that demand don't just think that your friends and family think you've got this great culinary delight that no doubt you do but perhaps expand on your market research beyond them and i, I think that can be done really easily just by creating a a survey um as a baseline, either in SurveyMonkey or Typeform. I mean, I use Typeform, but I'm sure there's others. Um, And I use the free version at the moment. And so they're pretty easy. And then you could share that link beyond your friends and family and get some feedback or just go and hang out in the grocery store and talk to people. Um, 
And I would also look at asking people to reflect on what they're really great at and what they love. And, you know, that's been a big theme with us in our conversation today because when you work in that area most of the time of what you're great at and what you love and backed up by where there is a an economic engine, basically there is a demand for it and people will pay money for it, then it kind of tick all the boxes. And um, I think the key also is thirdly to be across your financials. And, and I would say throughout this conversation, there's such a theme of being aware of the the levers in your business, yeah. knowing what people demand, what they'll pay for, and then just being really close to the numbers. And numbers can be fun. <laughs> yeah, numbers can be fun. I I didn't realize that in my own business until, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago. And I was like, oh man, I love looking at my monthly KPIs and figuring out what's working and what's not working. It's just, the numbers don't lie, right? They don't. And a, another model, actually, I'll share with your listeners too, that I... Um, talk about in members club is my traffic light formula and it is simply this that you look at all your products or your services and have a um i guess an arbitrarily chosen um metric so are you looking at them from um, a revenue perspective or a volume perspective or a margin perspective and then just, okay, so say you have a list of 10 and you've decided to look at them by revenue. And so then you just rate the revenue, you write down the revenue for every single product. And then you go, oh, that product doesn't make me much money. Now, the caveat for this, of course, is that product is your hero product. Yep. <laughs> Everybody knows you for that particular product. You know, it might be the best, um, it might be the best, your best tomato sauce or whatever it is. Yep. Um, but it might not so it it i wouldn't say throw that that particular product out but what i would say is for me this is a moving things um to create more margin for yourself effectively it's it's a way of creating more money without doing more so by very the, the sheer virtue of looking at your products and how much revenue they're bringing in and identifying those that may not be worth much to your business both from a reputational perspective and a dollar perspective can be a real eye-opener. And when I teach my traffic light formula, often people go, oh, wow, I have been flogging a dead horse, basically. Use that expression. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and I think this is also helps with that challenge that many producers in your community would have. And then I see in my community too, that they're too small to, to, um, they've got too much success to close the door, but they're not big enough to really scale. Yeah. And it's that, yep. it's that corner that they're stuck in. And so hopefully today I've helped them with some tools to look at how you can just move the dial a little bit forward to get out of being stuck in the corner. Yeah. Oh, I feel like you have just dropped so much, so many truths on us and on my listeners today and given me, me and my listeners, so many things to think about. I mean, as you talk about females in food membership club, I'm like, I want to be in that. That sounds, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like such a great compliment to retail ready. I'm, I would be so eager to have some of my retail ready superstars come and join females in food as well. So 
where can, can you tell us where can people find you if they, if they want to keep in touch? Yes. Thank you, Ali. And you know, the, the feeling is mutual. I love what you're doing and um, what you bring to the industry is extraordinary. So thank you for the opportunity today. People can find out about Females in Food at our website, femalesinfood.com. And there's a downloadable there on a growth checklist if you're interested. Mm. And you can also watch uh, some more information about me, but also join our free Facebook group, Kiosk for Women in Food and Drink, where we're solving the most common problems that women in food and drink face daily and help them uh, grow. Fantastic. I will link all of those in the show notes for people listening as well. They can just click on over. Thank you so much for spending time with me today, Chelsea. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Ali. It has been great to talk to you and your community. Thanks. Okay, my whizzes, I hope you are feeling a little bit better going into 2020 after my conversation with Chelsea today. And at the very least, you recognize that you are not alone if you are feeling those feelings of overwhelm. Feeling like you are overwhelmed and overworked and underpaid is so so common in this industry, but know that both Chelsea and I are on a mission to help you work past these feelings. So I'd love to have you come and continue the conversation with us in my Food Biz Wiz Facebook group. Chelsea and I are both in there, and I'd love to know how you're feeling moving into 2020, how I can support you, how we can work together to hit those business goals. And as always, that group is linked in today's show notes, along with all of Chelsea's information and Chelsea's Facebook group as well. So finally, tune in next week for our last episode of 2019, where I'm going to dive deeper into making and hitting your 2020 business goals. So until then, thanks for listening and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.